Haman's response is that he gets the king to issue a decree that all the Jews will be killed. Right. What's interesting, and this will come into play later, is that what in order for them to determine the day in which they're going to kill the Jews, he rolls a dice called a purr. That's where we're at. He's mad that Mordecai is not bowing. Haman gets a decree enacted to kill the Jews. He rolls the dice called a purr. Yeah. So this sets us up for where we can put ourselves in this scenario. Uh, he wanted a holocaust of the Jews. So if we're back in... 1937, would you bow to Adolf Hitler? Pompous. Pompous? <laughs> <laughs> Why does my brain like that word? Yeah, Wait, it's the, 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 the volcano erupted and destroyed the whole city of Pompous. <laughs> Pompous. Too soon. Uh-huh. Too soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, there are certain words that my brain just loves. I don't know what it is. Is it the sound? Is it the flow? Words like uh, brouhaha. There's no such brouhaha. That's not a word. Is that a word? Brouhaha. Is that, that means something's going on? I want to know Yeah, about. a big brouhaha, like a dilly big dilly. brouhaha. Dilly dilly? Dilly dilly. Is that a real thing? Dilly dally? Yeah, it's from a commercial. Dilly dilly. Oh. Quixotic. Hmm. Onomatopoeia. Oh, onomatopoeia is wonderful. Isn't that a sweet yeah, word? I, really I like that. hyperbole. Right? Onomatopoeia. It's where things, was that, where they rhyme? No, an onomatopoeia like is boom. a word that is a sound. Oh, right. Boom. Yeah. Boom. Pow. What, wasn't it Batman? They used to do onomatopoeia. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. Pow. Adam West? Yeah. Oh, wow. Good job. Uh, yeah. Bellicose. I love those the. words. The. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, Julia. I asked her, Julia is a wordsmith. What are you looking at? Oh, my phone, yeah. He called that you would pull out your I did. phone, even of though you have two I'm monitors pull out and my phones. And when I bring my 40 more screens... Listener, for you <laughs> to have a, a visual understanding of what's going on here, Yeah, Easy has a gigantic laptop. Ginormous. Right next That's to that laptop, like. he's got an iPad. A beautiful one. And then, as though that wasn't enough, he also printed out notes, paper... And then, right before we started, I said, and I quote, yeah. I, I, I bet you a dollar, not that I bet, that he's going to reference his phone at some a point. Minute in. Why haven't a you minute in. Why haven't you mentioned phone. my contact lens screens <laughs> that you can't see? Yeah, it's fun to have lots of things. Uh, <laughs> Julia likes the words oblivion, euphoria, and facade. Well, they're nice. Isn't that weird, though? Yeah. Seriously, like, we get pleasure out of... Certain sounds. And well, words. I just well, think you of you in the oblivion. <laughs> <laughs> Idiot. You know, it was weird when we came here from Lebanon because there are words in the English language that are major, major cuss words in Arabic. Like what? Such as. <laughs> no, that's a horrible thing to say. <laughs> well, probably, the, I would say probably the worst one is hachmach. <laughs> 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 it sounds. You it cleared sounds, your throat. Is yeah, pretty it, much. It sounds disgusting. Isn't that funny? You know, yeah. you get you get like Arab languages. With was that a like real that. word? No. Yeah. There are many that sound like it though, but uh, yeah, the different the different like sounds that is they're impossible for certain like throats to make because they've never made them. Yeah. Like Oscar say um, Ahmad Ahmad. <laughs> Oh, I nailed that. What are you talking uh, about? It sounded exactly <laughs> like you. I think right, you. Okay, wait. I'll okay. let us be the judge. Say okay, it again, listen. easy. Okay, I want you to listen close. I used to do this with friends years ago, and I you would just die laughing for hours. <laughs> he had. Had. But yeah, past tense. Listen. <clears throat> Ahmad. <laughs> oh, that, that sounds good. That no. sounds exactly oh, no, like it. Fabulous. Didn't you hear that? <laughs> There's not. No, no, I didn't. <laughs> listen. Listen closely. <clears throat> 
mud. I can try it. I, you're doing so well. I can smell it. <laughs> <laughs> try it. Wait, do it again. Ah, mud. Ah, mud. <laughs> That is exactly what listeners, listeners vote. You guys have problems. Listeners mm-hmm. vote. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Send, us well, a, send us in, listeners. Tell us if Oscar sounded podcast like me. at livingwaters.com. Reference this episode. And you, uh, uh, people who agree with the three of us, okay. Mark, Ray, and myself, okay. will try win this one. An award. Try this one. Wait, loser has to shave their eyebrows <laughs> <laughs> on camera. Welcome, one by one. Okay, listen. Chet. Again. Chet. 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 That's pretty good. Mark, it didn't sound good to me. I, yeah, I, I was I actually thinking, was I can't do it. Chet. Hat. <laughs> <laughs> no, but listen, Oscar is nailing whatever it is that you're doing. Give me another one. That Give me another one. That one. was pretty good. Dad, try that. Uh, Dad, right? <laughs> no. Chet. What do you want to do with the other Oh, boy. <laughs> Oh boy, this is good. But yeah, there are certain words. Uh, uh, oh wait, Ray, what's that one you always saw? Ronda hedron, hadron, rundan, hudron. <laughs> Rhombododecahedron. What in the world it's is that? It's a twenty-sided that? figure. Say it again. Rhombododecahedron. How long did it take you to? A dodecahedron, I think, is twelve, and a rhombi just sends it up to the twenty. Though there's other ones. That you was do legions. They and them. You go on the scale of big words. Mm-hmm. What is it? Is it? Those other ones you do. Uh, <laughs> I can do that. Uh, yeah. So you have words in Arabic like, um, like English. The word shoe means what in Arabic? Uh, foot means go in. Foot. Foot. She means something. When means where. Reb means sauce. Put it all into one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> habibi. 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 You guys know that word, Habibi. Daddy? Habibi. This means dad? Habibi, my the, beloved. Beloved. Yeah. Okay. Ray, speak Spanish. Pronto. Oh, that's right. Pronto. Bueno, pronto. Pronto and bueno. Yes, in and out. Oh, that was oh, a pointless fight. That was totally pointless. All right, friends. We have a uh, comment. Now, listen, uh, this is one that I'm going to read, not from our platforms, but from someone who actually came to Living Waters and handed it to us. This was from our sister, Kimberly. I told you guys about Kimberly. We have some doors being installed here at Living Waters. So I went outside to see the doorman. And as I was out there, the sister starts walking up. So I said, hey, how you doing? You want to come into the store? Let me, you know, get someone for you. And she actually came to get some tracks, but she also had a bag uh, with her full of C's candies and a card. And she, she and I were both in tears as she shared with me how the Lord has used Living Waters oh. and the podcast to bless her. And so this was what the card said. Uh, to Ray, Mark, Oscar, and Easy, thank you for the hilarious banter and biblical exhortation on the podcast each week. You've made me laugh out loud and also consider my ways before the Lord that I might grow to be more like him. Please make fanny pack merch <laughs> perfect for keeping tracks when we go street witnessing. Oh, fanny she, pack. Yeah, fanny pack merch. So yeah, so uh, Kimberly, you were such a blessing. So glad you, you popped in like that. And thank you for the cease candy, which Ooh, none I of you guys had. Did she really pop in? What a crazy thing popped to say. in. She didn't drop in. She Dropped popped in, in, popped in. Now, I, I met a guy the other day who said that he listens to our podcast and the first thing he said was, I could not believe how obnoxious 
The guy who opens your show's voices. <laughs> and he was being dead serious. Oh, he mistook me for Oscar. How funny. But then he said, but then it just kind of grows on you. Like moss. <laughs> no, no. He, he goes, I kind of crave listening to his voice. But at, at the beginning, I just couldn't, I couldn't handle it. And then the more and more I listen to it, I go, no, you know what? I actually kind of like it. It's just so different. <laughs> You're sort of like an unwanted wart <laughs> that just kind of, you forget that's there. That's a bit mean. He's more like Kermit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure. Well, we like your voice, and we like your antics, and we love your singing. Easy, will you sing us a song right now? Thank you. What song would you sing? Um, Let me think of a song. Silent Night? That was Silent Night in (laughs) In Arabic. Arabic. Yeah, that's a song I love to sing to Rachel. (laughs) <laughs> a romantic oh, I'm sure moments. she loves it. She absolutely adores it. Uh, yeah, friends. So, uh, Kimberly, thanks again. You seriously blessed my socks off, on, and back off again. Yeah, friends, send, send chocolate, <laughs> please. <laughs> uh, all right. No, uh, don't, don't. don't send it's chocolate. too tempting. Nah, chocolate. Oh, it, I, I, I walked don't. into the kitchen up, and that Sears candy was there, and it called to me. It yelled oh, my name. I know. Please do not send white chocolate. You don't like, like white, white chocolate, chocolate truffles. Oh, uh. You know it. what's funny you, is how much people know about our lives. Even as Kimberly brought the chocolates, she's like, I know, you know, you're on this diet and stuff, you know. <laughs> anyway, uh, always time for chocolate. Uh, speaking of chocolate, Mark, are you still obsessed with uh, souffles? I love souffles. Wait, explain a souffle to me. It's one I, of those, it's one, seriously, it's one of those words I, I hear and then I remember what it is and then I forget. It's French, isn't it? It's, is it like something you cook? A souffle? Yeah, Oscar took us to a French restaurant in New York that had amazing chocolate souffles, but we weren't dressed for the occasion, so they put us upstairs next to the bathroom. <laughs> so nobody's got to look story. at us. It really is. You know, they're absolutely seriously? great. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to fully explain but them. But is it a sweet? It's it like a chocolate, sweet? It lo- from the outside when you first get it, it looks like a chocolate muffin. But when you right. cut into it, it's got like melted chocolate that it's pours like out. Yeah, and then you pour Ooh. stuff over the top. Yes, it's kind of like a lava cake, but yeah. not not entirely. I haven't yeah. eaten a thing all day. Stop! Oh wait, Oscar, where's our treats? It's, only it's, it's not, not Thursday. Oh, first not thing in the morning. Day. What do you mean? Oh, okay. Haven't eaten all day. It's only first thing in the morning. I haven't eaten anything. Speaking of that. Um, I was at Magic Castle in Hollywood about mm, 32 years ago. Ooh, I was there with you. Oh, maybe no, this is before this, when oh. we first came over. Yeah. Waiting in the lobby to go in, dressed up nicely, and a lady showed up not wearing the right clothes, and they kicked her out. They Seriously? Wouldn't, they wouldn't let her in. They made her leave. Wow. Oh, because oh, you have to be dressed nice? Yeah. She was dressed nice, but they just they said, we just don't like the way you're dressed. How discriminatory. But they let you in there with your khaki shorts. <laughs> no, I don't. You <laughs> <laughs> know no shorts look like longs on me. That's fair. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you bought a coat. I think you have to wear a tie as well, no? Yeah, it's pretty pretty strict. Oh, but uh, she you wasn't know, wearing a tie. Mark, it's it? interesting. You you sent something the other day about people's excuses for not going to church, but it was it, it was kind of a a comedy thing where it was about sports. Yes. And it was like, oh, I don't go to sporting events because do you have it, Mark? Do you have it? Yeah, give give me a minute to try to find oh, it. Oh, it was so good. But you know, that's that's one interesting thing. It's it's almost like Every place is permitted to have standards except the church. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, and again, I'm not talking about legals. I'm not talking about, but I'm talking about like just common decency in certain things. You found it? Yeah. Yeah, drop it. 12 reasons why Christians do not attend sporting events. Number one, the coach never came to visit me. Ooh, <laughs> I like where this is going. Number two, every time I went, they asked for money. Hmm. Three, the people sitting in my row did not seem very friendly. 
<laughs> Number four, the seats were very hard. Five, the referees made a decision I didn't agree with. Six, I was sitting with hypocrites. They only came to see what others were wearing. <laughs> Seven, some games went into overtime and I was late getting home. How true is that, right? Yeah. I mean, we're sitting in service and at 12.01, we're wondering why is the pastor going over? Yeah. Well, when the alarm goes off at 12, I know that it's the end. <laughs> <laughs> However, when our favorite teams are playing and it's in overtime, it gets more exciting, right? Wow. So, yeah. so true. Uh, number eight, the band played some songs I had never heard before. Number and... nine, you lost your screen. It's <laughs> <laughs> coming back up. The games are scheduled on my only day to sleep in and run errands. Wow, nice. Ted, my parents took me too many, to too many games when I was growing up. Hmm. Number 11, since I read a book on sports, I feel that I know more than the coaches anyway. <laughs> 12, I don't want to take my children because I want them to choose for themselves wow. what sport they like best. Wow. Man. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's ironic, isn't it? That no one will not go to sporting events because of those things, but, but yet when it comes to being a part of the service of God's people. Yeah. All right, friends, this podcast is brought to you by the Living Waters Podcast Mugs. Yes, we continue to promote them. Make sure to get yours. Yeah, looking good. Oscar, you are so good at displaying those. Thank you. And friends, Tough Questions. It's our apologetics course, Apologetics Made Simple. Five sessions on DVD or the MP4 format. And don't forget the Evidence Study Bible at livingwaters.com. Dot com. All right, guys, today we are... www. Oh, www. Forward slash. Yeah. Oh, HTTP. Forward slash, forward slash. Are those forward slashes? Backslashes, whatever, slashes. All right, friends, today we are talking about... so bad. Why, though? Gleaning lessons from the book of Hadassah. That's Arabic for Esther. Yeah, that's Esther. That's her actual... Name, that's one form of her name, Hadassah. But yeah, lessons from the book of Esther. I like the book of Esther. Do you? Uh, yeah, it's one of my favorites. I mean, it's know? God's written words, yeah, so I should yeah. hope so. It's, it's one of my, my, my faves. My mom's name was Esther. It was. Mm-hmm. That's right. Is that true? That. Yep. What do you mean, is that true? I'm a Christian. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> you have no lie. Uh, Ray, were all your, all your mom's relatives, yes, they all they had were, Jewish names? All bi- biblical names like uh, Samuel and... Harry? Solomon. Harry? <laughs> Harry was actually one of them. That was one of them. It was probably a nickname. Yeah. Uh, you know, but there was Solomon was my grandfather. And, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then page 53. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the, the book of Esther, man, it is full of twists and turns. You know, it was uh, obviously associated with the um, Persian Empire that had kind of taken over after... Babylon had ruled. Of course, there was there were exiles that had taken place, and we we find ourselves in the midst of a story where uh, there were still exiles. Some had gone to Jerusalem uh, and were enjoying life there as, as they were permitted by the empire, but there were still the, some that were kept in exile and some that were in Persia. And we find Esther and can Mordecai. We, can we pause and just kind of define what that means being yeah, yeah. in exile? I think it's Go important. Ahead. I think it sets a really good picture, mind you. God's people had escaped Egypt, uh, they had crossed the Red Sea, they had gotten into the Promised Land, and then Babylon came in 
and took over. And what they did was they, in a series of events, took what you would call tributes. That is uh, people from Jerusalem into Babylon. And so when we say they're in exile, these are people who thought that they were going to grow up in the promised land, but have now been removed from that promised land. And they're living in a foreign nation, in a foreign land, in a foreign government. Uh, But God calls them to be faithful to him while they wait to be returned to the promised land. I think it's important to describe that because I believe sincerely that we're living as exiles now. We live in a nation that is not our home, in a place that is not our home, and we await the kingdom of God, Mm -hmm. the eternal kingdom of God to come. And so we live like Esther, like Mordecai, as exiles, Mm -hmm. wanting to live faithfully in a home that doesn't belong to us. You know, Oscar, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because... I was reading something yesterday that was talking about the kind of the persecution that we're facing as Christians. What's interesting is that in this situation here, dealing with the Jews, obviously we know as we get into the story that they were in danger of being wiped out. Mm. They would have been a minority within the empire there. As Christians, in a sense, when we, when we speak about it from the nominal perspective, right? I mean, America is looked at as a Christian nation. Even though we're not the minority, at least in name, now now genuine believers would be, I think, overall in terms of the population, but don't you guys sometimes feel like we are a minority by the way the culture is going in terms of how, how Christians are being perceived? Well, absolutely. Everybody is accepted within our culture and country, except for the Christian and his ideology. Mm. Make no mistake about it. You are not welcomed inside this land. This is a foreign land, and we're just passing through. It's, that is the case. But you are hated for what you believe in and who you adhere to, yeah. the, the things that we listen to. Yeah, from a, from a tolerant society. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and just to add to that, uh, so in Ross Dothat's book, Bad Religion, he points out that, I can't remember what year this Barna survey came out, but they said that there was 180 million proclaimed evangelicals or Christians in the United States. But then they surveyed and they wanted the people who, the Christians that they surveyed to agree to five things. Let me see if I can remember them. One of them was the Bible is the inherent word of God. The second one is that conversion or being born again is important to be a Christian, to believe in heaven and hell, that you should evangelize, that you should share your faith with non-believers, and that you should be a regular attendant and member of the church. Out of the people, so mind you, they started with 180 million. That's how many people claim to be Christian. Out of the people they surveyed who claim to be Christian, less than 3% agreed with all five of those tenets. Wow. Less than 3%. Mm. So to your point, maybe statistically as an evangelical voting block, it seems like there's a majority, but if you are a Bible-believing, church-going, evangelistic Christian, it seems to be you are a part of a minority. Yeah. Well, abortion will be outlawed if as many Christians as said statistics say. Absolutely. But, but it's, I saw a statistic the other day. I thought, boy, they've got to redefine Christian. 40% of Christians, I'm making this up, I can't remember exactly what it was, uh, believe that Jesus, don't believe Jesus was without sin. Mm. Something like that. I thought, well, that's you've got to redefine yeah. Christian. Christians would never say Jesus had sin. No. How can you call yourself a Christian when you say that? Yep. Hey, listener. Have you ever imagined yourself having a box of goodies for you to give away to every friend, loved one, non-believer that crosses your path? 
Well, now you can get one. That's because Living Waters is giving away 10 free boxes of goodies every single week. That's eight in the USA and two overseas. And this is being made possible by a faithful partner of ours that has given us funds to make these resources available to you for free. Each of these boxes has $100. That's right, $100 worth of tracks, books, and even your very own podcast mug. Go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast, fill out the form, and then listen to the end of the episodes where we will be announcing our winners. Livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. Good luck. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. In keeping with what we're talking about today, and I think we see it with Mordecai, we don't know exactly why he wasn't willing to bow before Haman. Uh, obviously, some Shouldn't would say- should we talk about what this, for those who don't know what, who Mordecai yeah, is? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to get into that, but I'm just kind of <clears throat> touching on that. That's but, on his 11th screen. Oh, we'll that's get right. 50th billion. <laughs> okay, sorry, 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 50th billion. Some would look and say, well, he didn't bow because you're not supposed to, uh, you know, it's worshiping of man. But we, we see examples all throughout the Old Testament of, of godly people bowing before kings. And I think the intent would be worship. But could it be that, you know, Haman, because of his conviction as a godly Jew, would not bow before an ungodly man, wouldn't show homage and respect to someone who was wicked and evil. And we don't know. But again, that just goes to the point of standing in righteousness. So Book of Esther, we have the, the children of Israel, they're, they're in captivity. We got Xerxes or Ahasuerus, you know, there, there's different pronunciations of his name. He's a king. He's, he's, he's got a massive, massive empire. The Persian empire had 127 provinces that stretched all the way from India to Ethiopia. I mean, this guy's got power. So wow. one day he's having this big feast, they're hanging out They're you know, he's got all of his, his officials and people are drinking and, you know, all this stuff. And then he wants to parade his wife, Vashti, who apparently would have been a a very beautiful woman. And so he goes, he summons her. She doesn't want to come out. Uh, She refuses the king's request, which was like like Mm. a a big (laughs) no-no, right? Shows him up in a sense in front of all of his officials. And so, you know, the king's enraged. And then he ends up basically banishing her in a sense. And now they're going to find him a new wife. And so they're, they're looking for beautiful young virgins and they're kind of going to have a, you know, a beauty contest in a sense to see which one he would choose. And so this is where we find Esther, who was an Israelite woman. And she, she hides her heritage. Hides her heritage. Uh, she was adopted basically by her cousin, uh, Mordecai, probably an older cousin. You guys know, I have cousins that, like, when I was a kid, I had cousins that were, like, in their 60s and 70s. What's wrong with that? (laughs) You think about, well, because of my dad. Usually your cousins are, you know, but my dad was so much older. His siblings got married younger, and so I had these older cousins. So it was kind of that situation. Mordecai adopts her. and So you were young. That was the problem. That was the problem. Mm. Young ease. So then she ends up there in the province, and she ends up getting selected, becomes the queen, and then the whole Haman and Mordecai brouhaha. So in. Persia. Well, before that, sorry, sorry, no, you go. Sorry. Persia was is the modern Iran. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Well, Persia. Yeah, that would be. Yeah, I was thinking you meant Babylon, which would be Iraq. But yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, Mordecai finds out that there's somebody trying to assassinate 
the king. Right. And so he reveals this potential assassination. This is important because it comes into play later in the story. He reveals the assassination plot. The king is saved. And that all happens in chapter one and two, just as Esther is becoming the new queen. Yeah. The homeboy's a uh, big fan and Teresh. I like that name. Big, what's up, homie? What's big your fan. name? Big fan. <laughs> big fan. Yeah, that's right. He uncovers that plot, tells you know Esther about it. And then, you know, later we get into it. So let's jump into it, first of all, from the perspective of how do you respond in a situation when you're in a place where you have others that are in authority over you and you're basically at their mercy? With Mordecai not bowing before Haman, this riled the guy up. And I want us to talk about Haman a little bit today. But, but guys, what do we do? when we're in a position where there are consequences for our actions. I'm surprised that, you know, th- th- there must've been a reason. I mean, Mordecai- Haman, Haman's response is that he gets the king to issue a decree that all the Jews will be killed. Right. What's interesting, and this will come into play later, is that what, in order for them to determine the day in which they're gonna kill the Jews, he rolls a dice called a purr. That's where we're at. He's mad that Mordecai is not bowing. Haman gets a decree enacted to kill the Jews. He rolls the dice called a purr. Yeah. So this sets us up for where we can put ourselves in this scenario. Uh, he wanted a holocaust of the Jews. So if we're back in 1937, would you bow to Adolf Hitler? Hmm. That's a good yeah. question. Yeah. And, and again, you think about the, the intensity of pressure. Hmm you know, where, where you could literally be killed. We, Rachel and I were just watching a movie on World War II. And man, it was, whew, we use it, we used clear play for it, but the pianist, it's called. Mm. It's, I think it's an the Academy pianist. Award. Pianist. Pianist. So clear Pian- play is- Pianist? Oh, it's a pianist. You guys. Oh, what do you Cliff. say, the pianist? Pianist. No. <laughs> pianist? Pianist. The pianist. Yeah. Okay, whatever. Piano. Ahead, right. Anyway, um, I think, what are we talking about? <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, yeah, clear play gets rid of all the blasphemy. Yeah, 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 stuff. right. Yeah. But it was horrific, like just the depictions. It was pretty powerfully done. I think it's an Academy Award winning movie. But you think about that intimidation, you know? I mean, Ray, what would you do if you lived in Hitler's... I could have almost, you know, if yeah. my relatives hadn't left wherever they lived, Poland... They lived in Poland. Mm. My great-great-grandfather, because of persecution, went to England, then over to New Zealand. I could have been born in that time, almost, if a, if a generation earlier, <laughs> which is just a ridiculous thing to say. But yeah, I have often thought of that. And when you watch movies, you think of the horror of the whole thing, where they come and take your whole family away, split them up and kill yeah. your parents, and, and you're, you're just uh, used by the Nazis for a sexual pleasure. Horrible. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a crazy thought. But you think about the, the repercussions of what happened. Part of me wonders, why is it that Haman didn't just have Mordecai killed? Mordecai was in the king's gate. That's probably an indication that he had some sort of political position or status or power. So he appears, tries to go about it a roundabout way. Like, let's get this, you know, let's get this guy killed through this decree, and that'll take care of them and everyone else that's associated with them. The whole story is thrilling because the the underdog wins. Haman's noose that he made was used on himself. Right, He meant it for Mordecai. And the whole thing, to me, speaks of the sovereignty of God. Yes. You cannot stop God's purposes. That's actually a really good point. Do you know that not anywhere in the book God's name is mentioned? Wow. Not a single time. Whereabouts isn't it mentioned? 
It is not mentioned <laughs> anywhere in Esther. Yeah. Or Song of Solomon. Or Song of Solomon. Uh, right. The author of Esther did that intentionally because what he wanted to show is Who that- Who authored Esther? We don't know. It's unknown. It wasn't uh, Esther? It wasn't, we don't know. <laughs> I know how you knew it wasn't because you're saying he when you're talking about the author. Uh, fair. Mm. The author wanted to show how Paul. God's sovereignty. Paul, it was Paul. How God's sovereignty <laughs> is, is at hand in all things that are happening. Yeah. And so in this, you see, you see ironic reversals all throughout this book. Mm -hmm. uh, at the beginning, you see the king's splendor, the king's feast, the king's decrees. At the end of the book, you see Mordecai's splendor, Mordecai's feast, Mordecai's decrees. At the beginning of the book, you see Esther and Mordecai saving the king. At the end of the book, you see Esther and Mordecai saving the Jews. Towards the middle of the book, you have Haman's elevation. And right after that, you have Mordecai's elevation. Elevation. There's sort of a bookends right in the middle of the book. Esther and Mordecai have these two planning scenes. And right in the middle, what you have is Haman's humiliation and Mordecai's elevation. And so what this, it's this beautifully written, like literary masterpiece in which the author is trying to show you, even though the name of God is not mentioned a single time, here is how he's at work. And the reason why I brought the dice up is because it's very interesting that Haman decides to roll a die called a purr to determine when the date's going to be that they're going to eradicate all the Jews. And later on, Mordecai and Esther, when they enact the feast, what is it called? A Purim feast. Hmm. And it's the idea here is that while this all seems like it was happening by chance, hmm. actually God's sovereign hand was at work making everything come together for his glory. Isn't and the, the proverbs of the preparations, preparations, the Lord are in the heart of man, but God... I'd come in and rolls the dice or something. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. The book of comfort? Yes. Um, you know, Mark, it says in chapter four, verse 13, this is after, you know, the decree had gone out and uh, Mordecai summons Esther to tell her, hey, we need to do something. And it says, and Mordecai told them to answer Esther after she sent back a message to him. Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Oh, I yeah. love that. Yeah. So good. Isn't that powerful? And I mean, that's a that's an off times quoted, you know, verse for such a time as this, yeah. you know, people will well, say we that. were born for such a time as this. That's yeah. a, it's a great mantra, if you want right. a better word to live with. Yeah. But, but yeah. Mark, the interweaving of God's sovereignty with our call to also do what's right. I mean, he's like, hey, God is going to do what God's going to do. He's going to raise up. The, it's like he had this sense like, and part of it would be his knowledge of God's promises and covenants, right? That he's faithful to his people and he's not going to let them be utterly destroyed. But it's going to come from somewhere. Mm -hmm. But hey, maybe you're here for such a time as this. Are you going to do what's right? Yeah, and I love what is uh, laid out here in verses 13 and 14. Uh, most definitely, they are the highlight of the entire book, uh, most certainly. I like in the book of Acts where it says that God has pre-appointed uh, the timing and the boundaries mm -hmm. of our habitation mm -hmm. yeah. so that we yearn for Him and so that we grope for Him and not that He's far from any one of us, mm -hmm. that we are predetermined to live where we're at for a singular purpose, which is to bring God glory. We, at this time and at this place, are here right now because we will bring God glory. That's why you were made. That's why you were created, to make His name, His fame, great and glorious, to demonstrate, to point people back to Him. Hmm. Now, she has the choice. 
right? Is this what I'm going to do? I was reading uh, earlier today from a woman named uh, Susan Nelson, and she is pointing out different uh, takeaways from the book of Esther that I thought were pretty spot on. I'll just name a couple of them here. Maybe just even the first one, if we have time, we'll get into the others. But that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary Mm -hmm. things. Mm. As, As a Christian, everything we do is extraordinary. We have to remember that because in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Yeah. Right? The only one who could possibly do a good work is the Christian. And the only reason why he can do a good work is because Christ has placed that inside of us to be able to do. We are created for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Remember, every good work that the world does is a blasphemous work. It is an idolatrous work. It is a deceitfully and desperately wicked work. So there's a call here to Esther saying, do you want to be a part of the plan of God? If you say no, listen, God is going to bring deliverance. But man, how joyful it is to have that deliverance come through you, to be used by you, right? Oh. So for God to do that work in and through us is absolutely amazing. And then this, she just goes on to say here concerning this specific point, she says, remember that Esther lived in a time when Israel was in captivity. Consequently, to their disobedience to God, she was just an adopted daughter of a cousin living in a foreign land. And other than her beauty, she was not unique in any way. In fact, she was a Jew, which was a minority race that was frowned upon and at times scorned or worse. Wow. Ordinary woman doing extraordinary things because we have an extraordinary God mm. who only does, as Job says, wondrous works. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I love that. Let me just add to when they were not extraordinary people, there are also a lot of moral ambiguity to the book of Esther because you see the heroes, Esther and Mordecai, uh, involving themselves in drinking and sex and murder. Uh, You've got them violating commands. They marry a Gentile, they eat unclean food. And so in other words, the thing that's amazing about this book is that it's not about moral characters that are moral heroes. Rather, the heroes of the story have trust and hope and act to be a part of the work of God. And I think that's so important. I love that idea, such a time as this. I think it's so valuable because I've talked about it before on this on this podcast, I think. So often there's like this this thing where the older generation loves to talk poorly about the next generation. You know, they're they're this. I mean, I, you know, as a millennial, I heard it from the Gen Z and the Gen Xers, and I'm sure the Gen or I heard it from the Gen Xers and the baby boomers, and I'm sure they heard it from their parents. And now we're all starting to do it to the Gen Zers, right? And I can't stand participating in those kinds of conversations because God has appointed this next generation for such a time as this. He has prepared them for such a time as this. I hear so often people talk about how amazing the Puritans were, how amazing the reformers were, and they were. We have a lot to learn from the Reformation. We have a lot to learn from the Puritans, but if God wanted the Puritans or the reformers in 2023, he would have had them here in 2023. Instead, he has Gen Z here. Mm. He is raising them up for such a time as this. They were made for the day and the day was made for them. And so I think this book gives us such a beautiful example of how God is using imperfect people for his perfect plan. And I love that he's like, look, God's gonna do his work. The question is, 
do you want to be the conduit in which God's going to do it through? Hmm. If the answer to that question is yes, then step out in faith and act as though God is going to use you. Amen. That's great. Hmm. Yeah, I love that, uh, Oscar. We need to remember that, right? We do have a problem, don't we, at times in, in the sense that we're always looking at the the saints of old, whether it's those from scripture or those from church history. And sometimes that can cripple us because we revere them so much that we get the sense like, well, we can't do what they did. But the book of Acts is continuing, right? So Acts 20, what, 29 or something mm. uh, it goes on. <laughs> I'm a, or something today. But what thrills me about the book of Esther is her courage, her faith in God. She says, if I'm going to go before, you'll probably touch on this, go before the king of Persia. If you go to the king of Persia without being announced, it was death sentence. That's yeah, all there was yeah. to it. And she knew that. And she says, I go, I perish, I perish, but this is something I have to do. And the only redemption for her was hope, the hope that he'd hold out a golden scepter. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what we're going to look at with King Charles holding mm. on to a, a, a golden scepter. Yeah. And she obtained mercy. And that's all a type of the gospel that we can't enter God's presence. We just don't click our fingers. Want to talk with the King of England? You don't shot in your pajamas. Want to talk with God? You can't just walk into the presence of God. The Bible says he would kill us because of his holiness. Yeah. And the only thing that can save us is the scepter of the cross. Amen. When we, we touch the cross, because she had to touch that scepter, she was accepted by the king. And scripture says, Hebrews 4, verse 16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. Yeah. Mm. The law called for our death, grace calls for our life, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So this whole thing points to Jesus. Yeah, Everything does in the Old Testament points to Christ and his work on the cross. Amen. And, you know, I, I love what Esther said after Mordecai sent his message to her, because, I mean, that's what she had said to him. The king has a law. Anyone who comes to him unannounced, all be put to death. Like, this is, this is serious. Couldn't you announce yourself? Say, hey, I'm here. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> but I love what she said. Then Esther told them to, uh, to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me, mm. neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I, I perish. perish. Ooh, wow. I don't know why that hit me there, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things of like, look, I'm going to do what's right, mm. come what may. And at the end of the day, you know, that has to be the heart of the Christian. I mean, that was the heart of Hananiah, Mishael, Nazariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? We have no need to answer you concerning this matter, O king. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow. We understand the consequences are not just death, but death in one of the most unimaginably torturous ways, burned alive. We still won't do it. Because our God is able, but even if he doesn't, in his sovereignty, yes. we're not going to bow. And then you see how God in his sovereignty ends up, you know, leading things. In chapter 6, this is when King Xerxes couldn't sleep, right? And so he calls for them to bring out the chronicles of what had happened in his kingdom. And this is when he ends up realizing Mordecai, and then he ends up elevating him. And then from there, things just, you know, begin to, to progress. The tables turn. The tables <laughs> turn. But, you know, Haman, Haman was, man, that guy was an interesting fella. Pride. He was so consumed with, with what he wanted. This is in chapter five. It says, and you guys remember what happened, right? So now Esther's going to set Haman up. So she does a banquet with the king, invites Haman, and then let's get, okay, what do you want, Esther? Well, let's do one more banquet, invites him the next day. So it picks up in, in verse nine of chapter five. So Haman went out that day joyful 
and with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate and that he did not stand or tremble before him, he was filled with indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home and he sent and called for his friends and his wife Zeresh. So, I mean, this guy's riding high, right? He's like, woo, I mean, look, I mean, the, the queen invited the king and me, no one else, you know, second time, he's full of joy. And then he sees Mordecai. Hmm. Uh, So full of pride. And the thing that he does is he builds a spike to impal Mordecai. And later on in the story, it's that very spike that impals Haman. It's a great reminder of how pride will ultimately be our unraveling. Uh, That's what he and the king struggles with. I mean, the king was struggling with pride too. He wanted to bring his wife out to show how beautiful she was. He held a beauty pageant to find a new wife. You couldn't approach him without being, you know, summoned upon. Him and Haman struggled with pride and C.S. Lewis writes so much about pride. He's really helpful here. First, he says that pride... Because what is pride? He says this, pride is the ruthless, sleepless, unsmiling concentration upon self. Mm. He goes on, and this is a great example. I think Haman's a great example of this, that pride ultimately brings us no pleasure. C.S. Lewis says that pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. Mm. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of, uh, of being above the rest. Once the element of competition is gone, pride is gone. And see, Haman was- Is that the, from mere Christianity? You know, I don't remember. I thought that was from um, screw tape letters, mm. but I could be wrong. Mm. But Haman, you know, he's the right hand of the king. He had it. Like he had the praise of most men in the country, but it wasn't enough because there was one that wasn't praising him. He had the authority over all the land, but one, and that was the thing that was his downfall. Yeah, and and you see how it affected him in such a almost unbelievable way. So it says he goes, he sees him, he's, he's enraged, he holds his peace, goes home, calls his wife, calls his friends. And it says, then Haman, and this is verse 11 of chapter five, then Haman told them of his great riches, the multitude of his children, everything in which the king had promoted him and how he had advanced him above the officials and servants of the king. Moreover, Haman said, besides, Queen Esther invited no one but me to come in with the king to the banquet that she prepared. And tomorrow I am again invited by her along with the king. Yet all this avails me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Woo! I mean, I, I may have touched on this before in the podcast. I don't remember, but man, look at this. You know, sometimes we can look at certain people and say, maybe, you know, especially younger kids and say, they just don't realize what they have. You know, that's why they're, they're so ungrateful or they, they complain and grumble about everything. This guy demonstrated, not only did he realize what he had, but he articulated, Mm -hmm. he called an audience and listed for them Mm. all of his riches, all of his children, his promotion in the kingdom. And hey, look what happened today. You know, I got to be, but all of this means nothing to me because of this one thing. And isn't that the epitome of of discontentment for the Christian? More soul is slain as thousands. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. You know, you could be blessed on so many fronts, but when you allow yourself to enter into the realm of ungratefulness, everything just loses its value. And, and really you begin to, 
to miss the blessings of God in your life. Well, I so love this podcast, and I so love my iPad, but I've noticed you've got two, and it really just <laughs> <laughs> and, and the put, phone. And the phone. Oh, the phone. And the phone. But look at what it leads to as well. I mean, it led to genocide. The, mm. the destruction of an entire race of people was his attempt because one guy wouldn't bow to him and mm-hmm. show him his respect. I think as believers, we need to be careful because there are times when we get this perspective of, oh, I could never do that, I could never do that. You start small with sin and it'll lead you to do the unthinkable. And when you think about what Philippians says in terms of why we're not to be anxious about anything, it says, be anxious for nothing, but for all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Hmm. let your requests be made known to God. Thanksgiving, you know, it transforms everything. Ray, you talk about this a lot, you know, just thanking God for... Yeah, and one thing I want to say is that this has stirred up my desire to read the book of Esther again. You guys are giving me great insights. I've sat at your feet today, and I, I hope it's done the same for our listeners and those that watch the podcast. Yeah, amen. Yeah, so there you have it, friends. Anything else to add on Esther, guys? Anything else? Uh, I would just kind of end with the the remembrance of the gospel, which is that you know it was Haman whose pride. Both Haman and Mordecai were sinners. We see that clearly in these verses, but it was Haman's pride that led him to his death, and it was the humility of Mordecai that put him in the graces of God. Mm. And so whether you're struggling with pride, with with sin, you know, repentance is humbly submitting yourself to the sovereign grace of God and allowing him to make you white as snow. And so mm. uh, humility is the beginning of, of uh, so many graces. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a big takeaway from today is uh, trusting in the sovereignty of God, resting in the knowledge that he has a grand plan for this planet. And within that grand plan are a bunch of different sub plans for his people. He never leaves his people. He's mm-hmm. faithful. He's true to his covenant. At the end of the book, we see that God did deliver the Jews and his hand was upon them. You know, But I love what you said as well, Oscar. There was sin intertwined in there on different fronts with Esther, with Mordecai, but God still worked mm-hmm. and he still accomplished his purposes. So let's rest in him. Amen. 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 All right, friends, don't forget, check out all the good stuff, the Living Waters podcast mugs, Tough Questions, Apologetics Course, the Evidence Study Bible. Send in your comments, send in your thoughts, podcast at livingwaters.com, and uh, give us those ratings and comments. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you here next time on the Living Waters podcast, where we have no idea what we're doing. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. I have no idea where that ridiculous saying came from, but friends, we do have winners. Winners for the podcast giveaway. That is the Living Waters podcast. We have Angela from Yucca Valley, California. Yvonne from Crestline, California. Brooke from Clayton, North Carolina. Andrea from Anderson, Indiana. Elias from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Becca from Lincoln University, Pennsylvania. Lowell from Yakima, Washington. Don from Charleston, Illinois. John from Ford, Australia. Good on you, Mike. And Dave from Will and Lane, United Kingdom. Congrats.